Thank you, Pastor Jeremy, for uh, just for leading us there and for our worship team. Uh, grateful for all of us who are here present and those joining online. Uh, I'm excited about opening God's Word with you all today. I believe God has a, a message for us that's going to be, uh, just, I think, cut to our hearts. You know, it feels like every week there's something new that's going on in our nation that has brought us to this point of frustration and feeling overwhelmed. You all with me on this? You know, we, we, we feel like, man, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I feel like I got to say something. Uh, I feel like we should do something. I feel overwhelmed. I feel burdened. And a lot of times we're just there saying, like, God, what, what would you have for us? And in God's beautiful providence, he always knows what he's doing. Amen to that. And when we started this, this series from the book of Daniel called Faith in the Fire back in July... We knew that God was going to use this to challenge us for this season of life that we find ourselves in as people who are who are either exploring the faith or those who have faith in Jesus uh, right now in this in this nation. But little did I know is how much God had in store for us through this message, because even today, uh, the passage we have, I think, is the perfect message for us today. And only God could do that. Today, we're going to talk about prayer, and in particular, how to stand in the gap for someone or something else in prayer. We call that intercessory prayer. It's the kind of prayer that prays for someone when they don't know how to pray for what they need. It's the kind of prayer that prays for something, a circumstance, when it doesn't know what to do. And what we find in the Bible is that frequently there are men and women of God who've taken it upon themselves to saying, God, I'm going to stand in front of the situation. I'm going to stand for someone and cry out to you on their behalf. That is intercessory prayer. Our nation is at a place where we, the church, the followers of Jesus, need to stand up and stand in that gap. We need to step forward and pray for others, pray for the church. And today we're going to learn how to pray intercessory prayers. We're going to learn how to pray for our nation, our city, and for others around us. We're going to see that this kind of prayer must be done with fervency, with urgency, but ultimately with humility. We know that God hears us when we pray, and the turmoil we find ourselves in week in and week out just calls upon us as people of God to pray. The world needs us as the church to bring the message of Jesus So what do we do when we're overwhelmed by the challenges we face in our nation? Well, when we don't know what to do, we are to pray. When we think we know what to do, we are to pray. And so let's learn how to pray. Would you join me in the book of Daniel, chapter 9? Daniel is in the Old Testament of the Bible. It is a little more than halfway through your Bible, about two-thirds of the way. And would you stand with me wherever you are at? As I read from Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to learn how it is to pray. How to bring the burdens and the weight that we feel to God in prayer. This is what we find in Daniel chapter 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans... In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass 
before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the, to, to the Lord God, seeking him. Can you say seeking him? Seeking him. seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, But to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel. Can you say all Israel? To all Israel, those whom are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you've driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written to the, in the law of Moses, specifically the book of Deuteronomy, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his word when he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, and yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt and with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O oh Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins, And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, watch this, verse 17. Oh, our God, listen to the prayers of your servants and to his plea for mercy and and for your own sake, oh Lord. Make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and a city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your 
great mercy. Amen. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Church family, what a prayer. What a, what a weight. Do you feel the fervency of Daniel here? Do you feel the urgency? But do you hear his humility? See, this is what it's like to stand in the gap. Let me give you some context here, church. We're told in the opening verse that Daniel's writing this in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, which is the Mede, the king of the Medes. He's the Persian king. In the first year of the Persian king, Daniel writes this. This Persian king also goes by the name of Cyrus, known to many of us from our history classes. During this time, Daniel is there, and he's now some 80 years old. When he was about 15 years old, church, he was back home in the land of Judah. God's people were wicked, and God's patience had run out. And he came to bring, he sent the Babylonian Empire to conquer God's people, to send them as captives. Daniel, as about a 15-year-old youth, was sent away from his home. And for the last some 65 years, has lived as an exile in a foreign land. And there now the Babylonians have been conquered by the Persians. And Daniel was here, and he is praying, and he's reading his Bible, his Old Testament. He's reading in particular the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. And look what he says in verse 2. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Basically, Daniel's reading in his Bible, and he's reading and saying, like, man, God, as I read Jeremiah, I find that the Scripture says that after 70 years of us in exile, you will bring your people back to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. uh, Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. And in Jeremiah 29, he says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not to harm, to give you a future and a hope. Daniel, Daniel's reading these words. He's like, God has promised to bring us back home after 70 years. He says he's writing this in the first year of King Darius of Cyrus which takes place at about the year 600, I'm sorry, the year 538 B.C. Judah was taken captive. It begun around the year 605 B.C. If we do the math, what we find is it had been about 68 years since Judah had fallen. And Daniel's reading this saying, God, we're coming up to 70 years. And you promised you'd take us back. But God says, if you seek me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you come and pray to me in Jeremiah 29. So what does Daniel do in this time of great calamity? He prays. He does the very thing God is calling you and I to do. He prays for his nation. 
Daniel is there. And in verse 3, he says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas. Daniel knows that he's in exile because God brought them there. Daniel knows that the hardship that he and God's people have experienced are a direct correlation to God's hand of judgment. But rather than seeing God as the problem, Daniel chooses to see God as the solution and turns his face to God. I don't know if y'all hear me here. Daniel sees that they're living in this hardship. He sees the problem, but he's like, God, I refuse to see you as the problem. I'm going to trust you to be the solution because you tell us that you are the solution. Our nation has problems right now, church family. And like Daniel, we have to understand that God is the solution. So what Daniel does is, I turned my face to the Lord. This was a posture of his heart. It is him saying, I'm going to look toward you, O God. See, choosing to believe that God is the solution is a choice we've got to make even when we don't have understanding about what's going on. Choosing to put our face toward God is saying, God, this valley is dark, but I choose to turn to you. These waves are rough. This sun is scorching. These winds are battering. The fog is blinding. The grief is deepening. But I choose to believe you are the answer to this problem. You are the solution, God. Daniel teaches us that when we see the calamity around us, we are then to turn to God as the solution and not view him as the problem. It is, a, it is a posture of the heart. But it doesn't just stop there. Because Daniel not only postures his face toward God, but then he prays a prayer from his lips. It says that he seeks God there in verse 3. He is seeking God. This is what God wants us to do. To turn ourselves to him, but to seek him through prayers and pleas, Daniel says. He begins to pray. He begins to call out to God. And you know what's so beautiful is that there's times when we're praying audibly to God. There's times we're praying in our heart to God. And there's times in our heart or in our audible we are like, "Uh, God, I don't know what to say. And in those moments, Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit then says, I know your heart and I'm going to intercede for you as you pray to God in the midst of this calamity. God is saying, seek me. In our backyard, we got a swimming pool. And one of my kids' funnest games for them to play in the pool is Marco Polo. Now, you all know about Marco Polo. It's a game where there's a person who's it. They have to have their eyes closed. And when they say Marco, the others in the pool have to say Polo. And now it's a job of that person to find where those voices are coming from and tag the person. And then they're now Marco. But one thing my kids enjoy to do to me is when I am Marco, and I'm saying Marco, and they're saying Polo, they like to play a little trick on me sometimes. They get outside of the swimming pool. And they're standing on the edges, and I'm saying, Marco, and I'm saying, Polo, and I'm like, man, I hear them. I've, like, I've combed this entire pool. Like, we don't have this big pool. And then finally, I'm like, man, y'all jumped out of the pool, didn't you, right? You see, when it comes to prayer, God's saying, seek me. And so many of us sometimes feel that our prayer, Marco, is not received with God's Polo. 
And we're saying, God, are you there? And we can't find him. But what God wants us to understand, he says, when you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 12. God's like, just don't, don't come passively. Don't just do it to do it, but come and seek me. In fact, God is instead like a, a, my, my son Levi was when he was younger. We'd play hide and seek. And what Levi would do is, when we're playing hide and seek when he was little, he couldn't hold his excitement when he was hiding. And so you're looking around the house, and you, start, you hear the little giggle, like, because <laughs> he knows you're nearby. Even when he was really little, what he would do is we go looking for him, like, all right, ready or not, here I come. And he jumped by, he's like, here I am. And I'm like, you don't, get the, you don't get the name of this game, do you, kid? Because there was so much excitement about the seeking and finding. I, I find God to be more like that when we seek him. God's like, hey, I'm not playing hard to get here. God's like, I, I, I want to be found. I'm here, but you got to seek me. And Daniel is here. He's saying, God, we are exiles in our nation because of our sin. And my posture now is toward you. And I'm praying toward you. And I'm seeking you, God. But the tone of Daniel's prayer, as we felt it, as I read it, is there made evident in verse 3. Because it says he begins to pray prayers and pleas for mercy with sackcloth and ashes, verse 3, and fasting. What we find is Daniel's prayer is one of urgency and is one we'll find of repentance. You see, sackcloth and ashes are symbols of, of profound grief in the Old Testament. Sackcloth are like a potato sacks. You ever seen those big sack potato bags? You might have had potato sack races as a kid. You never think about cutting out a hole for your head and your arms and just wearing that because potato sacks are extremely uncomfortable. They're itchy. They have material that makes you feel uncomfortable. And when people of God in the Old Testament wore sackcloth, it was them declaring to God, like, God, I can't be comfortable right now. What I feel is so urgent. I am grieving. I'm in mourning, and I'm wearing sackcloth as a way of expressing to you, God, that I can't be comfortable. Ashes were there as a sign of mourning and fasting. And so Daniel's prayer is one of his lips, and it's, it's one of his heart feeling overwhelmed by the circumstance of his country, his people. Do you feel overwhelmed about the situations we find ourselves in here in Chicago, let alone America? Do, do you feel what Daniel feels here? But Daniel teaches us something really important about prayer. Because he believes God is not the problem but the solution because he knows who God is. And from the very outset of his prayer, he begins by reflecting and pronouncing what he knows to be true of his God. And this is how we are to pray. We begin our prayers knowing and acknowledging, God, I know who you are. And what does Daniel say of his God here in verse 4? He says, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to those who love him and keep him and keep his commandments. He calls him Lord. This word Lord in Hebrew is Adonai, which means he is the ruler God. He is the master God. Daniel goes on to call him great and awesome. To speak of God's greatness is to speak of his manifold power. And Daniel's there praying, saying, God, 
I'm coming to you. I know you're the solution because you ultimately are the ruler of this earth. You are all powerful. And he goes on to say, you are also awesome. See that word awesome. Now, for many of us, we use the word awesome so much, it kind of loses some of its bang. Like those awesome tacos we've ate. Or that awesome game we watched yesterday. Or that awesome place we visited. But really, at the root of the word awesome is that we are seeing something that inspires awe. The word awe is synonymous with the word fear. It is something that is fear-provoking. And so when Daniel says God is awesome, he is acknowledging God's fear-provoking power and might. Daniel is there saying, God, you are the awesome God. I stand in awe of you. You are the covenant-keeping God, he says, and you are God who shows steadfast love. I've shared this word before with you guys. In Hebrew, it's the word chesed, and you got to get the ch sound, you know. It is God's covenant love. It is his love that doesn't fail. And Daniel is saying, because you are all-powerful, because you keep your covenant, I know you are the solution because you will follow through. 68 years, God. And I'm holding you to your promises. I'm believing them. Daniel prays. He knows his God. Church, when we know our God's character, his attributes, we know we can come to him in prayer. God's not the problem. He's always the solution. He is the solution for America's problems, church. America's problems will not be solved this November, church family. It don't matter who gets elected to be our president, that person cannot solve America's problems because America's problems aren't political, they are spiritual, church family. The problems that our nation has are problems of our hearts. And for that, we need a solution that can take care of that problem. And politics ain't the solution. And God is the solution. I remember as a youth hearing saints of old telling us in our church, you know, I've been around long enough to see Republican presidents and Democratic presidents, and none of them have solved the problems because this problem is not a matter of our presidency but of our sin. And I remember hearing that as a kid and as a youth and as a young adult. And at that time, I had not seen many presidencies. But now that I'm 39 years old, I've seen many presidencies. I've seen presidencies from both sides of the aisles. And guess what? We're talking about the same problems in our nation because the presidents can't solve it. We as the church in America need to understand where the solutions come. Yes, it's good to advocate for various political things that when it comes to executing God's justice and, and pleading for the things that are close to the heart of God. But don't be confused into thinking that our elected officials will solve the problems. God is the solution. Daniel tells us here, I'm coming to God with my problems, with our problems. He is the solution. So what do you do when you come to God? Well, Daniel understands that the problem that Israel has as they're in exile is their sin. And so what does he do in verse 5? Notice the first words out of his mouth. 
We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Daniel confesses the sins of the nation. And he does so in no uncertain terms. Look at the language he uses. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We rebelled. We've turned aside. He's like, I don't want you to, to think. I, I, I want to leave no stone unturned. I want it to be clear that we understand we have sinned against God. And he's going to use various words to explain it. He says, we have sinned. The word sin means to miss the mark as a bow and arrow and when an arrow misses its target. That's the word for sin in the Old Testament. And Daniel's like, we've missed God's mark. We've done wrong, which means that there's a right way, and we've chosen the wrong way. We've acted wickedly, which means we've committed crimes against God. We've rebelled, which means we've ran away from God. We've turned aside, which means he says we turned aside from God's commands. But look what he says in verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people. Daniel's like, we haven't even listened to the messengers you said. Now, I mentioned the Old Testament has 39 books. First five books are the, the books of Moses, the law. And then we have the historical books that go from, from Joshua all the way through Judges and Kings and Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Then we have the poetic books, followed by what we call the prophetic books, from Isaiah to Malachi. The prophetic books are prophets that God had sent for the most part, to his people to expose the evils of their ways so that they would turn away and come back to God. And what Daniel is saying is, you sent us prophet after prophet, and we ignored them. The message of the prophets was very simple. Very simple. They, 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 they came in and out. Same message. You read Isaiah or you read Ezekiel. If you read Haggai or you read Zephaniah, you're going to see the same things called out. This is what the prophet said. They said, God, your people, God's people, you guys have become idolatrous. You live in luxury while so many in poverty. You're bloodthirsty. You don't love justice. There's moral compromise and decay. You devalued life. You don't grieve over evil. You trample the poor. You're arrogant. The prophets would come and preach these messages, and they would be rejected. What I find so beautiful is as Daniel confesses his sin, he makes really clear where, what, he's, what he's saying here. You see, because he could have said, you know what, God, we're messed up, but you know what? Those Babylonians that conquered us, those were some real evil people. Those Persians that conquered the Babylonians, man, they were rough. My neighbor down the block, you see that person? Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't compare to other people or to other nations. Where does he compare it to? Verse 4 and 5 tell us this. In verse, in verse 5 it says, We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside from your commandments and rules. You see, when we intercede, when we stand in the gap, we're doing so confessing sin because we are making sure we are measuring ourselves up against the right ruler. Let me say it this way. If we measure ourselves up against the wrong ruler, we're going to always find someone worse than us that we find ourselves better than. But when we compare ourselves to the right ruler, we won't measure up. Who is that right ruler but God himself? What is that right ruler but his word as it explains himself and his standards to us? And Daniel's saying, God, 
maybe compared to the other nations, we may not be all that bad. But compared to your word, Lord, we've missed the mark. You can always find another nation worse, another person perhaps worse. But at the end of the day, we measure ourselves up against what God has said. And Daniel's like, man, God, we fall short. And even today, church, when we look at our nation and our city, what we see is a peoples that have fallen short of God's standard. What has God asked of us? What is his standard? Well, God makes it very plain and simple in his word. In Micah 6, 8, he says, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God said, you want to know what to do? This is what you do. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, why, don't you, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but not the log in your own eye? Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. God's measurement says in James 1.19, know this, my brothers. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God's made his standard really clear. And Daniel says, God, we have failed it. Our nation has fallen short of God's standard. And we as the church need to step forward and pray as Daniel prayed. Daniel says to you, O Lord, in verse 7, belong righteousness, but to us open shame. Our shame is before us, he's saying. And honestly, I look at our nation and our sin is ever before us. Our country has sinned, and it's not even concealed, but it's open shame. What do we do when this has become clear? Well, we do what Daniel does, and we confess it. But one thing that's so remarkable about Daniel's confession here is that at least 12 times in his prayer, church, he begins with the word, his confession, with the word, we. The word we. He says in verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong. We have wicked and have have been wicked. We have turned away. Verse 6, we have not listened. Verse 7, we are covered with shame. Verse 8, we and our kings are covered with shame. And verse 8 again, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, we have not obeyed. Verse 11, we have sinned. Verse 13, we have not sought the favor of the Lord. Verse 14, we have not obeyed him. Look, you got, we got to understand what's going on here. What do we know about Daniel from to this point in the book of Daniel? We know in chapter 6, when his enemies hated him, they wanted to find reason to accuse him, to get him put aside and thrown away. And they couldn't find any accusation against him because he was a blameless man. We know from Daniel that he prayed three times a day to his God. We know from Daniel that he had so much conviction about his faith, he was willing to die for it. So we asked Daniel then, why are you saying we have sinned? Because clearly you haven't done the things that you're saying we've done. I want us to understand this. Daniel understands the national and corporate accountability and responsibility God has toward the people of Israel. He's not staying in distance saying, no, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. In fact, he goes on to say, 
our fathers, we have done this. But his fathers lived generations before him. Daniel helps us understand the national guilt that is over him as part of God's people. And we as a country so often want to distance ourselves from the evils of our nation that we fail actually to feel the pain of our nation. See, our national sins should be our personal pains, church. We should feel the grief over what has taken place in our nation as Daniel feels the grief over what's taking place in his nation. And I know many people saying oh, that, but, but I wasn't around. This happened in our nation, church. And we ought to lament over it. Indeed, in the founding of our nation, some 20 million Native Americans, 20 million were killed or died as a result of English colonization. In our nation, at least 10 million slaves were brought from Africa into the New World. In our nation, there were 4 million slaves that lived in bondage in 1860 at the time of the Civil War. That's just 160 years ago. There were 4 million slaves in our nation. Our nation had the evils of Jim Crow laws in the South, just in this even current generation. 56 million babies have been aborted since 1973 in our nation. The pornography industry brings in $12 billion annually to America. There is over-racism, rampant lust, gun violence, greed, oppression, and hate. And do we feel the pain of the sins of our nation? See, our societal sins should be our personal pain. Even if you yourself have not committed this, we need to collectively say, God, forgive us of our sins. We have done evil. We are doing evil. Our nation is founded on blood of peoples and on the backs of slaves. Do we grieve over this? In Daniel's words, we feel the urgency and the grief that he has. He's appalled by it, and we should be too. You know, one of the things that keeps gripping me is week in and week out, new things are coming up in our nation. But so many of our first impulses are to comment about it. Jacob Blake was shot seven times in his back last week. And all of us have crafted opinions about it. But how many of us grieved first? How many of us grieved the fact that there was a shooting in Kenosha that day? How many of us grieve the fact that his three children saw their dad get shot? How many of us grieve the fact that this man is now paralyzed for the rest of his life? How many of us grieved over the fact that this officer had to pull out a gun and for whatever reasons, and now he has to live with this? How many of us grieve over law enforcement not knowing what to do at times? How many of us grieve over the brokenness that so many communities feel with distrust towards police officers? How many of us grieve over the challenges many officers face? You see, so often we craft opinions before we've lamented. And here Daniel's like, God, we're sorry. 
I'm just sad. This is where we're at. And we should be too, church. We should be too. The world needs to see the church lamenting over sin because it breaks the heart of God. God is grieved over the sins of America, past and present. And we need to cry out to God. I feel like we are so caught up in this 2020 that have we really knocked upon heaven and saying, God, have mercy on us. Daniel's appalled because in verse 13, he says, and yet all the things have happened to Israel, and yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. All this has happened to us, and we haven't even prayed about it, Daniel's saying. Now, no doubt people prayed in this, in, in, as they're in exiles. I mean, Daniel prayed three times a day. But I think what he's saying is there hasn't been a collective repentance. There, there hasn't been a collective grief and sorrow. So Daniel's just overwhelmed. We've done wickedly. When we intercede, church, we've got to feel the heart of God and stand in the gap for others, for our church family, for the brook. We've got to stand in the gap for the, the church in Chicago, the church in America, the city of Chicago, our nation. And we do so when we put ourselves close to the heart of God. But here's the beautiful thing about our God. This is so beautiful about our God is that he actually listens when we pray. With all the sin that is upon us, the open shame that is upon me and you, God would still listen. Look what Daniel says in verse 19. He says, he says uh, I'm sorry, in, ver- in verse 18, Oh my God, incline your ear. And hear, open your eyes and see our desolation in a city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel tells us that God hears us not because we deserve it, but because God is merciful. So as we know our own sins, and we might feel like we can't come to God, I want you to know you can come to God. Because God hears you, not based on you, your successes and failures, but when you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all your heart because of God's character as merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You can come to God no matter what you've done, what you've said. We can come to God no matter what we've done or what we've said. When we come to him with humility, We can be bold in our prayers, and God hears us. Look at the boldness of Daniel in verse 19. Look at the verbs he uses, but there's a humility in his boldness. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Daniel teaches us that God will act. And we can be bold so long as we're humble in coming to God as we intercede. As I mentioned our nation's sins, I know this is weighty because we know that for all of us, there's racism in our hearts. There, there could be hate in our hearts. There's lust in our hearts. There's selfishness, and the list goes on. 
We know we've sinned against God, but God hears you when you pray, and he will heal you. How do I know this? Because look what God tells Daniel as Daniel comes with this plea for mercy. Look at verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God and for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, or what looked to be a man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, who was then an angel, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. Listen here, this is beautiful. Daniel's here broken over his own sin and the sin of his nation. And he's saying, God, I know your character. You are Adonai. You're great and awesome. And God affirms him in his prayer and in his confession by saying, I'm going to send Gabriel to you right now just so you know that I heard you. God hears your prayers, church. He hears you when you cry out. He hears you when you say, God, I'm so sorry for my sins. He hears you when you say, God, we are so sorry for our sins. And he shows Daniel, Daniel, I heard you. And I'm going to send Gabriel there to tell you that. I'm going to tell you also something else through Gabriel. Look what he says in verse 23. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to, I have come to tell it to you. Why? He says, for you are greatly loved. You see that? God's like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to come and answer your prayers because I love you. If you've put your faith in Jesus today, you are a child of God. And he hears you when you pray because you are greatly loved by God. And with that, we can come. But what's so crazy is God doesn't stop it there. Because God's like, man, you confess the sins of this nation. I see their sins. I put you in exile because of your sin. But I'm not going to leave it there, Daniel. Because this is the message that Gabriel brings to Daniel. Now, it's filled with a lot of language that might be hard for us to understand. I'm going to try to unpack it to you as quickly without getting too detailed. This is what Gabriel, excuse me, tells, tells Daniel. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgressions, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. God tells Gabriel this, and he tells Gabriel, tell Daniel, saying, tell Daniel that God will put an end to sin. That's good news, church. God said, I will put an end to sin. And so the question is, how will you do this and when will you do this? God says in verse 24, 70 weeks. He says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word and to restore, from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. 
And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. All right, this is, this is vague language. A week in biblical imagery, according to the book of Leviticus, can, can refer to seven years. So 70 weeks times seven equates 490 years. So God tells Daniel, in 490 years, from the time you return to Jerusalem through this decree, I will put an end to sin. Well, what happens 490 years after the decree to go back to Israel? Well, if we fast forward, that puts us at about the A.D. 26, the time when Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is baptized and begins his public ministry. God tells Daniel, as you confess your sin, I need you to know I've already got a plan to put an end to it. I've got a plan to send my anointed one, the Son of Man in chapter 7, the one who would be God in human flesh. He would come on the scene and he would minister in the power of God and he would live a perfect life which none of y'all could live. Because your sin is ever before you. And furthermore, he would live this perfect life and he would be cut off and put on a cross so that all your sin, Israel, would be put upon his shoulders. All your sins, America, through faith in Jesus, are put upon his shoulders. This is how Jesus has saved slave owners in the past who repented of their sin. This is how Jesus saves racists. This is how Jesus saves those who are promiscuous or live according to their flesh or in their arrogance. Because he has put their sin upon his shoulders and he has put an end to sin. Jesus put sin to death. Jesus, through his resurrection, put death to death. Jesus put an end to sin. And he says, Daniel, I'm going to do this, and I need you to know that this is what's going to take place. This is why John can say in 1 John 3, 5, you know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, fulfilling Daniel 9, 24. Hebrews 9, 26. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Colossians 2 tells us that he nailed it to the cross, church. We can give God a clap for that. As we stand in intercessory prayer, confessing our own sin, confessing sins and standing for others, and for the church, and for our city, and our nation, we do so with the hope that our God is great, that our God is the solution, because he has provided the ultimate solution of his own self on a cross to conquer death so that all who put their faith can be forgiven. When we intercede, we do so with the hope of eternal life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So therefore, we can be bold in our prayers 
And in our bold prayers, we know God hears us because he, told, he sent Gabriel to tell Daniel that God hears us. When we pray, we know God hears us because he loves us as his children. And when we pray, we can be bold because we know that God found a way to save people while maintaining his justice. What Daniel's prayer of intercession has showed us God is not the problem. He is always the solution. And when we see our sin measured against him, we have nothing else but to come to him, feeling the pain of our personal sin and feeling the grief and lament over the sin of our nation. And so we can come to God. And he hears us, not because you and I deserve it, but because he is so merciful. He wants us to come to him. When we seek him, we will find him. He's jumping out saying, here I am. But when we come and when we stand in the gap, we do so with urgency, with fervency, and always with humility. Our nation needs us, the church, to not get caught up with its mess, but to be broken and to pray. Pastor Jeremy mentioned of a prayer meeting on September 10th. There's going to be several different churches gathering at Armitage Baptist Church that evening. We'll send out more details through email and social media. But part of this is this burden to stand in the gap as a unified church. What do we do when tomorrow there might be a new headline? What do we do when there's another headline a month from now and everything is in turmoil? What do we do after the election results and our world is, our country is wondering? When we don't know what to do, we pray. And when we think we know what to do, we pray. Let's stand in the gap, church, for each other, for our church, for the city and this nation, for the glory of God. Father, we come before you, Lord. And Lord, we, uh, we know that by our own selves, God, we just have no business in your presence, but all because of your grace, we can just talk to you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church family, in this heart of prayer right now, even if you're online watching, wherever you're at, here in this sanctuary, would you just take a moment, or would you pray an intercessory prayer standing in the gap? What's God burdening your heart with right now? Is there something in your own life that you just got to bring before God? Is there a brother, is there a sister, a youth, a kid that comes to your mind that you need to stand in the gap for right now? Is there a circumstance in our city or in our nation that you're just so burdened for? Would you just pray right now? Pray in your hearts, intercede. Just talk to God. He hears you. God, you hear us. Thank you, Lord. Remember, you can pray because you're greatly loved.
because of what Jesus has done for you and you put your faith in him. You are God's child. You can pray to him. Don't let fear or guilt stop you from just saying, God, I need you right now. Don't let the enemy's tactic to make you feel like you're not worthy to talk to God right now, that's a lie. God's like, you come to me. Seek me. Find me. I'm here. Oh, Lord, we come. Help us. Teach us to pray. Stand in the gap. We need you so much, God. So we just cry out to you. In Jesus' name. Oh, we need you. Amen. Stand to our feet, church family, as we close the song.
God, that really is our prayer, Lord. We know that without you, we've got nowhere to go. I thank you, Lord. You, you invite us and you receive us. In. God, as we go out this week, I pray that we would go out with your strength, that we go out with your hope, that we go out with a, a burden to cry out, Lord, to you. Lord, I pray that this would not be a, a, a message that we hear and forget by 2 p.m. But Lord, that your spirit would do a work in all your children, drawing us to you every day. Oh Lord, may we be your church in such a way that we make a difference for the cause of Christ. Lord, I do want us to say for those who don't know you, God, pray they would come to you today, Lord, and they would just say, God, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. I accept your forgiveness. I receive Jesus as my Savior. Lord, I pray you change them and work in their life. Go before us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be all glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. That's our God. Go out in his strength, church family. We'll see you all outside as we hang out there. You are dismissed. Take care of those online. God bless you.